This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Great. Okay, brothers and sisters, it's great to get the chance to study and wrestle the scriptures again, particularly uh, these last couple of chapters of Acts, which, as we mentioned last week, um, are basically courtroom drama scenes and are not used to create any sort of actual doctrines. You know, no one ever sort of quotes uh, Acts 25 and Paul's, you know, defense against Felix or anything in, in creating a major doctrine of the church. Uh, and yet, we have studied them because they are in the Bible and uh, wrestled with them. And I thought last week we got some pretty good discussions too about some of the different issues. Um, we'll continue on reading uh, Acts 26 today, which is the last bit of uh, his trials in the Holy Land. He's uh, going to leave. Um, but before we do, we will engage in a time-honored Christian tradition before we study the Bible, which is... Pray. We pray. Can I have a volunteer to lead us in prayer? Where's Neville when you need him? <laughs> he unfortunately is not well. So, so. But yes, normally he does uh, traditionally lead us. John, lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together, come around you, Lord, and learn from your word. We ask you to open our hearts and give us vision to your word. It might be for, for us to walk with you in our daily lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And for those who weren't here uh, last week, our tradition is we go over the... the um, I'll give a, we give a summary of last week's uh, study and discussion, just so that we've got a, a basis to, to work from on today's discussion. And so the printout is, is around. It also goes up online for those that are reading it out there in podcast land. So last week's Acts 25. Porcius Festus arrives to replace his incompetent predecessor, Felix, as the governor of the province of Judea. Now, Felix uh, had been uh, known from historical sources as a very poor, evil, wicked governor and was fired from the job. So was Pontius Pilate. But along comes uh, what we think is a good guy. He immediately sets about a state visit to Jerusalem. From the few historical sources available, it appears that Festus governs as well as can be expected of a Roman ruler in a rebellious province. So the province of Virginia is beginning to foment rebellion. It is um, preparing for its uh, uh, attempted overthrow of of Rome. Uh, Jerusalem has not forgotten Paul despite his two years incarceration at Caesarea. The leadership, which is unnamed, uh, thus indicating that uh, Ananias may have been replaced as chief priest, because if we wanted, we've mentioned him before as chief priest, but then we suddenly stop mentioning the name of the leader. So the leadership pressed new charges against Paul, requesting his removal to Jerusalem and another ambush attempt. So they, they, still a plot to assassinate him remains. We discussed that no mention is made of the Jerusalem church or James. They apparently are not targets of the temple leaders, perhaps not seen as threats, or we are simply not told of the history of the Jerusalem community, for that perhaps was never the intention of the book of Acts. 
So isn't it interesting? The, the, the Roman governor goes to Jerusalem and they say, we want Paul. But it gives no mention of what they're doing against the Jerusalem believers in Jerusalem. If people are willing to make oaths and murder Paul, what must be happening to the Jerusalem community under James? One can only ponder. Okay? Our text does not tell us. Festus actually refuses their request. Despite the need for Pax Romana, so one of the things that the Romans really loved in all of their lands was Pax Romana. They would do anything to keep the peace of Rome. That gives you money. Uh, so despite the need for Pax Romana and the obvious gains this would favor, uh, this would favor the Jews to the new governor, Festus actually remains loyal to Roman law, and as Paul is a Roman citizen, cannot be handed over to a Jewish court. A new hearing is arranged. The Jewish leadership again appear in Caesarea. This time, we have no mention of Tertullus as the lawyer of the temple. So in the previous case, they bring themselves a lawyer. Now they don't bring anybody. The whole court scene is actually very short. It's one verse. One verse uh, of the protagonist, one verse of the defendant, uh, compared to the previous chapter, which detailed the charges in, in great detail. No witnesses are brought. So what must have Festus been thinking? Or what would Paul have been thinking concerning his prophecy of Rome? Remember, he has been given a vision of Jesus. Jesus has appeared to him and said, you will go to Rome. And yet, here he is after two years, once again, facing charges with no witnesses uh, and wondering why, why am I still here? Festus cannot reach a conclusion for some reason, should have been blatantly obvious. And he suggests Paul actually appear in Jerusalem. The text offers no reason for this sudden move on behalf of Festus except to gain favour from the Jewish leadership, something he had not sought of on his first arrival in Jerusalem. Paul now takes matters into his own hands and appeals to Caesar, as is the right of a Roman citizen. The current emperor in Rome is Nero, who at this stage has not descended into madness and still has good stoic advisers on his council. So he's in, in Rome, Nero is actually doing okay. Festus has the power to deny this request. Just because a Roman citizen appeals to Caesar does not mean they automatically go. The, uh, the Roman governor has to decide whether this is actually worthy of uh, an appeal to Rome, which would most likely in many cases involve a bribe. However, uh, after consultation, so he consults with his crowd, he accepts the appeal. Perhaps Paul is thinking of the promise of Jesus and Jesus as a way to move the process forward. So we end up having a discussion as to, as to whether that is something we could actually do. Could we use um, the, uh, the, the, what happens in real life and uh, our culture and our traditions as, as a way to actually move a vision or a prophecy or a dream that we might have had forward? King Agrippa, who is the grandson of Herod the Great, yes, the baby killer, who is Jewish with a knowledge of Jewish law and traditions, arrives to make a state visit to the new Roman governor. Now, Agrippa's realm lies to the north, occupying various parts of Lebanon, the Golan, and parts of the Upper Galilee. And he owes Rome for his, uh, his position. King Agrippa is accompanied by his younger sister, Bernice, of unknown relationship and lacking any title. She just seems to show up. Uh, Festus, who seems to lack much knowledge about the Jesus movement, he seems to not know a thing, even though he has been appointed governor of, of this province, he, no one's obviously informed him, or he seems ill-informed, 
takes the opportunity to bring up the subject of Paul with King Agrippa. We also discover that the new charges brought against Paul relate from the perspective of Festus to be an inner Jewish debate concerning prophetic mysteries and the resurrection of the Messiah. Agrippa accepts the request for help by Festus, who must send an explanation of the charges against Paul with him to Rome. And Paul will now stand before King Agrippa, thus fulfilling the prophecy by Jesus in Acts 9 while on the road to Damascus, that Paul would stand before kings and give testimony of the resurrection. And that is about to happen. So let's read uh, Acts 26. And uh, what we do is we go around the table, uh, one verse at a time. It doesn't matter the version, truly, and or language. We can understand them all. And just speak loudly for the, our brothers and sisters in podcast land. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I am conformed to the strictest sect of my religion, living as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. To which our twelve tribes will pertain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. From death I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you prosecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I say, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you to serve and bear witness to what you have already seen of me and to what you will see when I appear to you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobeyed unto the heavenly vision. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of life to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Thou art speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. Unto him I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I, I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for the chains. The king stood up for the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. When they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Awesome. Okay. So is there anything there on our initial reading that jumped out at you that you hadn't seen before? Something that you've noticed? The words of Jesus are much fuller and much more detailed and contain content that uh, seems to have been communicated later in earlier accounts of Paul's uh, encountering Jesus on the way. Yeah, this is, this is um, Paul's third uh, opportunity to give his testimony and each time he does it's different he adds a bit more detail leaves stuff out which is interesting he's being commissioned to the gentiles and all of that uh and the things that he would see in the future were were after Ananias came in the earlier versions not that it changes anything it seems to be a point of emphasis in the and Shaping for the audience, I think. I think it's a shaping for the audience. Like, Paul knows a different audience, and we do too. Mm -hmm. I doubt it, you know, when we share our testimonies, they're not always the same, are they? Sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer. It depends on who you're talking to. Yes. Sometimes you add some details that no one else has heard. Sometimes we embellish. <laughs> Anything else? I always find it interesting that, uh, that our, many of our translations um, say that Jesus is speaking Aramaic. What's the Greek there, brother? It's Hebrew. Yeah. 
just once again shows a bias in our translators. Unbelievable. Again and again and again. The Greek is deliberately Hebrew and yet they deliberately say Aramaic. Based on what? Based on a huge prejudice against the Hebrew language having been revived in the land of Israel. <laughs> if you ask me, it's also based on a, a similar sentiment today towards the land of the people of Israel. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we, in English, our translators uh, have a bias. Um, I don't know if anybody's reading a different translation. They haven't got a different... Uh, ESV has Hebrew. ESV has Hebrew. Excellent. Mine has Hebrew. Mine has Hebrew. <coughs> Which, what's your version? RSV. RSV. Oh, good one. Good one for the RSV. Holman Christian Standard has Hebrew. Excellent. We're making progress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. NASB has Hebrew dialect. But it, Hebrew dialect? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, we'll, we'll give the Americans a pass on that one. All right. Okay. What was your version? Uh, it's a Hebrew language, but now you say Hebrew dialect, primarily Aramaic. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, no, bad. <laughs> yeah, yes. all right. Very good. Okay. Anything there that you noticed in an overall fashion about Paul's um, very eloquent uh, speech? Yeah. Yes? Yeah? He's, he, his testimony comes front and center here. He's not... I mean, he doesn't. He's not talking theology at all. Nope. He's, he's saying, "I saw him do this. This is this is the story." Yeah. It's uh, it's really quite uh, quite striking, and the Lord's words to him as well. You're going to testify about this, what what you see in me now, and you're going to testify in things which I'm going to appear to in the future as well. Mm-hmm. What it is shows it? the power too of a witness, uh, yes. because people can argue about our theology but they can't disagree with your testimony yes you know, and it's and it can, we can tell people about christ and what yep. are they going to say not -uh. yeah he doesn't quote bible yeah like he doesn't throw out okay because of course it says this that, and the other he appeals to to uh the the traditions but doesn't actually mention them per se it, in the it's not doctrine actually but it is one historical fact that he keeps coming back to it's the resurrection of jesus really not about doctrine it's, it's about this one fact did it happen or did it not yeah it determines everything and notice that in the big speeches of paul which are recorded in acts um, how successful are they in winning converts i'll give you a hint the answer is zero <laughs> okay um he has this it's incredible speech yes doesn't win a single person Okay, um, so he has very limited success on the Areopagus. So it's it, eloquent speeches are great, but let's also just put them into context. They are not always the things that work. Sometimes it's a bit more of a littler thing. Sometimes it's a small uh, good deed or a, a pull by the Holy Spirit Himself. Okay, that you, know, you don't need to have this flowering oratory that's going to win people to the Messiah when you can see that people have flowering oratory and it wins nothing he speaks the truth but the truth sets no one free here maybe maybe in the future we don't we don't know all right so let's have a close look at the text see what we can get away with now just remember this is again a big courtroom scene and is not used by the church through the last 2,000 years to create some major doctrine but it is holy text in the Bible should be studied 
Okay, so Agrippa and Paul. So Paul is standing in front of who? Hephaestus and Agrippa. So who's King Agrippa? What's his lineage? He's Jewish. Yeah, he's Jewish, sure. He's the great grandson of who? The guy who tried to kill Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so here we are giving a, a speech in front of the person whose great grandfather tried to wipe this movement out before it got going. Right. Jesus is, you know, a baby, and here's yeah, yeah. My great grandfather tried to wipe this out. This didn't work. Um, I wonder what he thought of it right now. It's like, um, uh, and also, what did King Agrippa's father do? Uh, also, oddly enough, called Agrippa. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Um, he, he chopped off uh, James's head in Acts 12. So, so Agrippa's dad is responsible for the first murder of an apostle. Okay? And now here we have the son, uh, which is interesting. So you know, there's lots of ammunition there that Paul could have used, and he said nothing about it. He didn't say, hey, I want to just remind you, you know this movement you guys have been trying to stop? It's not working out for you, you know. Um, perhaps you should really stop and let me go. No, he doesn't say any of that. Okay. Um, but in fact, he so mentioned... aren't they a Jewish Sumerian mix or no? Who? Agrippus. No. No, so um, the, the lineage is uh, King Herod's grandfather was forced he is Idumean, so as a sort of an uh, offshoot of the Edomites, they were forced converted by the Maccabees under Alexander Janaeus, who in Messianic zeal decided that uh, he had a great plan for the people living on the eastern side of the Jordan. It was convert or die. So they chose conversion. Um, so King Herod's father converts, grandfather. So uh, then... So Hasmoneans, right? Yes, the, the, the Hasmoneans. Yes, the Maccabees. Now, vaunted heroes from the donut uh, festival we're about to celebrate uh, did, did in fact uh, force convert a variety of different peoples. Um, King Herod marries a Hasmonean. Um, he marries Miriam, one of the last of the Hasmonean princes. So his lineage is definitely Jewish. So King, king Agrippa, this, this current king, is most definitely of Jewish stock. Yeah, um, and as he, as he is charged by Paul, he is very familiar with Jewish traditions. Yes. So he has not abandoned the faith of his ancestors per se, um, and he definitely knows a lot of the the goings on uh, within within his realm. And uh, I'm not 100 percent sure what sort of king he was, uh, but he seemed to do. He, he seemed to the, the Romans liked him because they kept expanding his territory. So he gets a little bit from Lebanon, and then they sort of give him a bit more of the Golan, and then he keeps expanding, and he takes little parts of northern Israel. Um, uh, and, and in his realm, he kept peace. Probably that's the reason why they, they kept giving him stuff. And he might have paid for it too. All right, so um, he motions with his hand. I'm not 100% sure why that's actually added there in the text. Mm -hmm. And begins his defense. Um, and he says, uh, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you. Uh, why? Because, uh, uh, because you are well accustomed with all the Jewish customs. Um, now, why would that make Paul happy? 
Why do you think Paul's opening line is, is that? Um, it might support his claim to innocence, just not, not necessarily directly, but just, um, just kind of reminding him that you know, he's Jewish. You know, yep, Jewish. Paul Jewish. Who's Paul been hanging around with for the last two years? A bunch of Romans. Right. He's been he's been you know confined to this 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 palace for the last two years, and uh, Romans have got no clue what these Jews are talking about. Yes. Um, Roman religion does believe in gods. Yes, they're very religious. They even believe in that gods have children. They really do, right? You know, um, but they're, they're and their gods uh, who have children become these demigods and they got some great stories Hercules Perseus you know yeah, awesome things of uh, oh. but so they could be Paul talking I believe you know in the son of God they go yeah 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 us too yeah yeah why are you still here again you know, crazy Jew you know what did your guy do did he kill any three-headed dogs you know has he uh, has he slain the Medusa or he just rose from the dead that's interesting um, it makes no sense to these Romans. So finally, he's got a Jew in front of him. And it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, it's like um, Pentecostals, you know, always talking to Catholics. <laughs> and after finally, after three years meeting on the Pentecostals, going, oh, I can really talk about the spirit with somebody. You've got no idea. Um, so he's actually very interested. Like, oh, I'm really happy to talk to somebody who speaks my, my language. Okay. Because I've, I've been talking to this with Felix and Festus, and they don't get what I'm saying. Do you think he was saying this also for the benefit of the other people in the room? I'm 100% sure. He's very smart, our, our Paul. Yes. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently, he says. Okay. Uh, verse 4. The Jews all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child. So we actually get a little bit of um, uh, backstory. But Paul's very... Very rare does Paul give you much, much backstory. Okay. Um, I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. All right. So what do we see happening? They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I am a Pharisee. Okay. So what do, what do people have in, um, in uh, the early part of uh, uh, verse, verses 4 and 5? Where does Paul grow up? All nations and in Jerusalem. So he's born where? Okay. And yet he grows up where? Jerusalem. Correct. So, uh, so yes, he is born in Tarsus, but it's not where he spends his formative years. Okay. We end up discovering that um, uh, he ends up uh, migrating early as a child to Jerusalem. We don't know why. Could be that his parents did, most likely. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as we discovered in previous chapters of, of Acts, who's in Jerusalem? His sister. Ah, oh, yes. Right, and his nephew. Mm -hmm. Unnamed. But they, they uncover the plot to uh, assassinate Paul. And uh, so he's got family in Jerusalem. And we know that he studies under who? Gamaliel. 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 Yep, so he joins the Pharisaical movement. Um, so yes, he does 
born in a, in a Hellenistic city in Tarsus, but ends up spending a fair bit of time in Hebraic Jerusalem. Well, he implies that his father was a Pharisee as well in the letter to the Philippians. This is true, yeah. And so, yeah, the fa his father could have made the journey to Jerusalem for further study, for a job, could have become one of the uh, part of the upper echelon. We don't know. So Paul would have been very familiar um, with the goings-on of Jerusalem. And that would include Anna, Simeon, okay? these kinds of, uh, of, of, of people. He would have, would have known them. Okay? Um, and, he is, and he lives as a, as a Pharisee. And, and it's because of my hope. Now, what's his hope? What's the hope that the Pharisees, Pharise, the Pharisees hold? Yes, a resurrection, in that God has promised to our fathers. Okay, uh, this this incredible um, promise. It's interesting. I, I would be interested to hear from him where he found that promise. Where where he found that the promise? The promise of the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. Explicit in the Old Testament, it was developed as an understanding gradually. Yes, in the Second Temple period. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The the yes. Second Temple period Jewish literature um, de, uh, is, a, is an excellent uh, way, of a window, of looking into the development of, of um, essentially New Testament theology as well. So developments of resurrection, emphasis on angels, okay, that kind of stuff. Daniel doesn't count? But it talk, talks about those that will... You come out of the dust, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. That's pretty clear. Right, it's like a verse. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, Jews are very, yeah, it's not easy to create a doctrine out of one, one verse. You, no, but it's there. It's there, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So it didn't come out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it comes out of a, a lot of different places, um, including, including Isaac, the idea that. Uh, Isaac is actually slain by by Abraham and then resurrected. So, so this for those that aren't familiar with what I've just said, um, Abraham is called by an angel, and we have the the um, the statue in in uh, in the church. The angel is, is holding on to the knife of Abraham, and in Hebrew he says, "Don't slay your son," and he says it twice. And because people go, well, why does the angel have to say, don't kill your son twice? One stream of theology, and I'm just, just saying it's only one, has this tradition that Abraham actually did kill Isaac. And then, of course, was that God's plan? The answer is, of course, no. So therefore, Abraham, uh, God resurrects Isaac. Abraham thinks this is quite amazing, but then proceeds to try and kill him again because God had said, kill your son. And so the, 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 the one stream of Jewish tradition is that uh, God will provide a lamb, this lamb will get slain, and this, this slain lamb will resurrect. And, uh, and so you can see how some of these, the, these, these things can develop purely based on obscure verses in the text. Doesn't say, but it goes on. I mean, it, it's yeah. one verse, but it goes on to talk about those that are wise and those that turn many to righteousness. It's not just one verse. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's in one section, like a book. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So the Hebrew writer also said that Abraham offered Isaac. Correct. Yes, he does. The, the writer of Hebrews knows the tradition that, that Isaac's dead. He also says that yeah. considering that God was able to raise him from the dead, yeah. it does not imply that the deed was done. Mm-hmm. That's correct. But it knows the tradition. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the book of Hebrews also has a, a little dig at the testament of Abraham as well, it has a, which is a great little... Uh, it's a book in the Egyptian Bible that... Um, when people go through the pearly gates or the, the wide and narrow gate, Abel is still there and he's still bleeding. And, he's, and as you walk past him, he throws his blood on you. And if you're righteous, you can keep going. If you're not righteous, you can't. And the book of Hebrews goes, it's not the blood of Abel, it's the blood of Jesus. Right? He knows this tradition and says, well, we'll scratch that one off the list. Um, and so there's a, it's, it's interesting, the different... Uh, uh, streams of Jewish thought that are developing in the Second Temple period. All right. So he is on trial for having hope. I mean, isn't that terrible? <laughs> okay, you know. Uh, but what is one of the gifts that we have to offer the world? Hope. Right, yeah, we have it. We the hope that we have. In fact. That is what Peter acknowledges us in his um, epistle. He says, be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Okay? Not your, don't, don't give me a reason for your doctrines or the reason for your love, why you're a good person. You know, don't try and tell me about Jesus, but give me a reason for why you've got hope when the rest of the world is hopeless. Yes. Right? And there's, there's, there's one of those things that no one can actually take that away from you. No one can walk up to you and say, Gabriel, stop being so darn hopeful. The world's a horrible place and, and we're all racing towards Armageddon. And Gabriel can say, no, actually, I, I don't think it is. I, I've got hope that it's going to get better. Okay, it might look pretty bad, but the Messiah's coming back. God is a king. That's a really good thing that we can share with people because they don't have it. Anyway, Paul believes on trial for the hope, which is a promise. That has been, been made uh, by God to the Avot, to the fathers, the patriarchs. Verse 7. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Okay. See any, any problems with that sentence? <laughs> it's a real interesting assertion. It's a real stylized, idealized version of the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. All of them, 12 tribes, book sections, night and day, unceasing. All of them, except, of course, the the other Jews that are accusing me of the same... (laughs) Yeah, except for those guys, yeah. (laughs) But what do you you think of the the way he's phrased it? The 12 tribes. What's the standard line when you look on the internet uh, for the tribes of Israel? How many of them are actually around? Two. Two. And where are the other ten? Don't know. They're lost. <laughs> okay. That's the standard line. I will posit that that is an incorrect line. So, uh, someone read Second Chronicles fifteen verse nine. So the promise. This promise, this hope that there is going to be resurrection, that there is going to be a redeemer, that there is going to be this, this king with the forgiveness of sins, the power of the glory, all that kind of stuff, is the hope 
of the 12 tribes as they are earnestly doing their job now, day and night. They are, okay, well, who are they? Um, what does is, what is, uh, 2 Chronicles 15, 9 say? And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who were residing with them for great numbers, and deserted to him from Israel, and they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Okay, so we all know the scenario with King, Sol uh, King Solomon. He has, uh, uh, he rules well and then rules poorly. And, and, and then when he's dying, his kingdom's going to be split away between 10 and 2. And a prophet called Achiah goes to Jeroboam and says, If you serve the Lord, um, I, God is going to raise you up like the house of David. That's the promise. You're going to be just as big as the house of David. I mean, that's massive. House of David's going to have the Messiah. House of David's going to have a whole bunch of prophets. You're going to be just like that. Okay, and you get 10. He only gets two. You get 10. And of course, doesn't listen at all. Okay, and things go poorly. And he then sets up uh, some false gods. He sets up a statue, one in the north, one in the south. And, uh, and, and, and proceeds to try and forbid, stop people from making pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which happens to be in his rival's territory. However, this doesn't sit well with everyone in his empire. So what does, what does Chronicles start to say? It says that there's actually a migration south. Not everybody stays up there. Okay, have a look at uh, 2 Chronicles 30, 1 to 11. And someone want to read 2 Chronicles 1 to 11? 30? Who's got it? Go for it. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king has taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make, a pro to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. They had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnants of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not ye like your fathers, and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return again unto the Lord your brethren, 
and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you, if you return unto him. So the post passed from city to city, through the country of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and to Zebulun, and they laughed them to scorn and mock them. Nevertheless, diverse of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. All right, so what do you see happening there? Again, uh, a call. Don't give up Jerusalem. Please come back and celebrate Passover. And small remnants from each of the tribes do indeed do that. And, uh, and so we, and when Sennacherib wants to, uh, or when the Assyrians want to come in and absolutely start attacking northern Israel, do they have fast-moving panzer tanks? No, this is not a blitzkrieg. And so when a large army is coming in from the north, um, what usually happens across the world? Refugees. If your enemy is coming from the north, where do you go? South. And so you actually had on many occasions a migration of which the Bible does record migration south. So much so that um, Anna, the prophetess, which is in the temple, she's from the tribe of Asher, which is actually up near Nahariya. Um, and, uh, and yet she still knows her tribal lineage. And yet that tribe has been carted off and lost for hundreds of years by now. Opening sentence from the Epistle of James. What does it say? Anyone know? Twelve tribes of scattered Correct. So there was a there was a uh, an acknowledgement that yes, we had lost a few. This is true. People were taken into captivity. Majority of Jews are living in Babylon. They're not in Israel. But the actual tribal allotments had obviously lost their ground. Yes. But they themselves were not, not lost. They had not <laughs> disappeared. Yeah. And he, and again, Paul says it says the twelve tribes. Okay, I don't know where they all are. Some of them are right with me. Okay, um, but we're working diligently. He was Stay. very proud of his own tribal lineage. Yes, he was. Uh, Benjamin, born nowhere near Benjamin. Yeah, um, out there in in Tarsus. One of the walls that is near us here and went on down was built by Hezekiah. Do. Uh, protect the refugees that come from the north. Yes, yeah. So, so you end up finding that Jerusalem has these stages of growth, often during yeah massive refugee movement. It's like, oh my gosh, we need to build more Jerusalem. So they do. <laughs> yeah, um, which is good. All right. Uh, so uh, verse eight. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? All right. Okay. Uh, this is the uh, the charge that some, and it is a small m movement within Jews within the Jewish people deny, but but the prophets uh, and, and, uh, say say no. It's kind and, of interesting. Sorry that um, wasn't Agrippa though a Pharisee, uh, Sadducee. That I don't know. I thought I'd read that somewhere, but for him to say this just as if it's a fact, even if he's a Pharisee, why does anybody think this is incredible? Yep, I have. You know, yeah. like Jesus, he's the, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I mean, yeah. why do you think this is incredible? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So by this stage, there are lots of stories about uh, resurrection, um, uh, even of animals. 
but there's not just not just humans animals are coming back to life in in jewish texts but um yeah, I, I don't know about the Sadducee thing. It could be could be true. I don't I don't know. Psalm 104 describes the resurrection of animals. It, it does, doesn't it? it does. Yep. Yep. And so in in Second Temple period Jewish text, animals are coming back to life, mm-hmm. left, right, and center, which is fun. Right, it says that everything that has breath, breath. praise the Lord. Yeah. So uh, verse nine. Now we get a little bit more um, uh, self-disclosure. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 10, and that is just what I did. On the authority of chief priests, not his rabbi Gamaliel. What did Gamaliel taught? Just in case this might be God, don't Don't do it. Don't be caught fighting it. Yeah, And so he goes actually against his own rabbi. Okay. And as a Pharisee, sides with the Sadducees. Okay, this is a big shift for him. Okay, but for some reason, he is very zealous to try and crush uh, this movement. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. How do other people's translations read? What's the Greek say there, Arie? Verse 10. What does it mean for him to cast his vote? Oh, it's a little black uh, stone that he cast for guilty. Yeah. So he's putting people to death. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Greek says that, yeah. 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 So, I mean, imagine, so you've got a, uh, someone who's condoning murder uh, uh, becoming one of the heroes of God. How would we react if that was someone in our midst? Take to the Hague. <laughs> International war crimes. So, like, 2,000 years later, how would we react with someone who repents and has done these horrible things? You give him a hug? Good for you, sister. Okay. No, it, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough call. Right, you know. Um, let's just pretend that you know. There's Charles Manson. He's done his big murder. Didn't commit suicide. Goes to prison. Uh, meets Jesus. Comes to faith. Spends the next forty years serving out his sentence. Comes out of prison. Joins church. Would you make him in charge of the Sunday school program? No. You've got one of those. Why not? He's he's repented. He's he's ready to preach Jesus. He wants to save your kids. Paul Paul did. Would you do it? It's a tough one, isn't it? You can see why the early church just would not believe this. You know, it's like, hey, Charles Manson wants to come in and join our Bible study. I don't think so. <laughs> so. There's this interesting phenomenon going on now. It just started, I don't know, a few months ago with the global pop star Kanye West. Yeah. He apparently is like a born Oh, man. yes, that's right. He's starting his own like church services. Yeah, that's right. So it's interesting because... Given his what twenty year semi career, yeah, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Now, should we like be cautious? Because what he's having his own services, and how yeah. embracing should we be? I mean, those are those are good questions, and I don't know if we know the answer per se. Everyone here I know believes in repentance. Yes. 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 Do we not tell people? It doesn't matter what you've done. 
Jesus can set you free. Do we not say that? We say it. And, and do we not believe it? Yes. So then when someone is set free, how can we still don't treat them that way? Jesus does. Or people think sins are different and in God's eyes sin. Maybe. Maybe it's a... I think everybody here would. Uh, we In our congregation, we've had people who were murderers and even on death row, and they came and people accepted them. That's great. Uh, the problem is, I think, when you have victims of the families that they've killed, because I also have friends who their husband's been murdered or whatever, Yeah. that would be a little bit more difficult. You have a attention maybe in the church there but I think everyone here would if you saw them you would love them you would know they were God's people and they they taught in our church we accepted them on equal footing mm -hmm. um, so I don't think you guys would have a problem <clears throat> regarding to what you say about King Ways and many people that, like that I think there is no biblical authority in that state wherever he's living in while talking about that because i know there's a rational authority pastor or elder in the church you go to the to the piece pastor or piece of first timothy and second and, and this is a really good verse to say in here in this chapter verse 20 he said and they should repent and turn to god and performing deeds improving or demonstrating their repentance yeah. And Paul, he was really urgent, like charging the church. A new convert, he cannot be an elder or someone with influence or authority in the church. Why? Because if that man, if this man now, Kenny Wears, this specific example, he falls, so many people mm -hmm. are going to be astray. Why? This man is trying to build the kingdom, but the question is, is the kingdom of four years or of yours? Like, if he really repented, and if he, if he really wants to humble himself, repent, turn around of his life, and change his mind, he's going to be quiet and say, alright, I'm going to devote myself to the scripture, and if God's will, I'm going to be called to, to pastor a church, because it's not, it's not an office, like, it's not a work, I'm going to choose this job. No, no, no. Pastor to be a leader is a calling of God. So yep. they are playing with things that I believe that they don't know what they're doing. Okay. So, yeah, I believe that. It seems to me that for someone that's been in a really bad situation, it's not unchristian to expect them to prove themselves. Well, you see that what Paul says here is approve them by their deeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, prove your repentance, mm -hmm. not just by saying, I have repented. That's right. I've said the sinner's prayer, um, yeah. but yeah, now, now let me see some fruit. Yes, let's see what I see. Just an interesting anecdote, but I didn't know this preacher personally, but I know some preachers very well who knew this preacher personally. And one of the most famous mass serial murders in America in Chicago. I don't know. I can't think of his name right now. But anyway, he, uh, he, he requested a minister and this friend of my friends went to see him and he said when he went into the room to talk to him, he says he was real nervous because this guy was a serial murderer. And uh, he said uh, the serial murderer told him, he says, I'm really nervous right now. And he said, what are you nervous about? And he said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm scared that you're going to tell me I can't be saved. Wow. And he did obey the gospel, by the way. He's baptized into Christ. And, yeah. 
never got out of prison, of course, but he... Right. There's still a consequence to your action. Yes. Um, and what's interesting about the, uh, that knife attack that they just had on the London Bridge, okay, the, the, the guy who did the knife attack, right, had committed murder before, right, and was now being released. Yes. Guess who the three men went to stop him? And the, the, the news focused only on two of them. The third one was also a murderer who had been released. And, but, but a secular world doesn't have a clue how to deal with that. A secular world hasn't got a clue. It's like, why would, what does it mean when, when someone actually physically repents and decides to run headlong at a guy who's killing people and say, no, you won't do that? Whereas then, you know, 20 years ago, he was killing people. Isn't that an interesting switch? But it, the, the news agencies have ignored it. They're focused on the other two heroes. Who are heroes? Yes. But there was one guy who got out of prison and started killing more people. And one guy got out of prison and said, no, I will stand in front of a, of a knife and I'll take it. But you're not killing anyone anymore. So that's, that's a good deed. Well done him, whoever he was. And, and uh, quick little about the gospel passage, be cunning as snakes, uh, innocent as doves, Jesus. Yes, Jesus' line, like, yep. What does that look like, you know? Yeah, have some cunning. Have some, you know, be, be wise. We can't be foolish. We're instructed not to be foolish. A biblical example is when Saul, he repented and turned to the Lord and he was no longer living but pressing him. The apostle, when he went, all of them ran from him because he was persecuting the church. He said, I don't want to see that man face to face. He was persecuting the church. And now you're coming to us saying that you're a disciple? We don't try to we don't, we don't believe you yet. Yeah. <laughs> Give us, give us some time. Yeah, yeah. give us deeds to prove your repentance. Yeah. So. yeah. How many of the greatest people in the Bible were murderers? Let me see. Moses. Yeah. Keep David, going. Go down the list, buddy. Paul. <laughs> I mean, you just. Yeah. There's a lot of murderers. Yeah. Or, or dysfunctional parents. Isaac. You know, your kids are a mess. <laughs> you know. Like, uh, yep. <laughs> so. Interesting. Uh, have we got some good good role models, don't you think? Mm -hmm. yeah, praise the Lord. It just shows us that God's grace is for us. Amen. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that you're never beyond. Yes. You're never beyond redemption. Yeah. That's right. God can still use even a murderer. And I sometimes think those that have much to repent of have much more grace to show. Mm. Yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. And Paul's passion for I this. Realize they do. Yeah. 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 They they just realize just. Paul, Paul said at the end of his life, I am the worst of sinners, not I was. Yeah, yeah. And I think the closer you get to God, you're more you're like Isaiah. The more you realize, yeah. I'm really yeah. in trouble. Yeah, I really yeah. have a lot of problems. I don't have anything to say. I, I don't know. Yeah. my sins better now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Paul's continued uh, self-disclosure in verse 11. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. So, yeah, not, not, not exactly, it doesn't tell them how he would do that, um, but what would you imagine him trying to get them to say? Jesus. So, what do you think? What would be blasphemy to Paul now? Jesus is 
Lord. Yeah, Jesus is not the Lord, yeah. Mm -hmm. so he would, that was his trying to think. And he, it's interesting that he calls it blasphemy. Right? So blasphemy is to say Jesus is not the Messiah, Jesus is not God, right? And I tried to force them, and in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So he's going all over the place. Um, he uses that in plural. Uh, I think it's in plural in the Greek, isn't it? Which means Damascus was not the only foreign foreign city that he went to, though it's the one we, we get the most of in, in the book of Acts. On one of these journeys, I was off to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So again, this Pharisee is working for Sadducees. About noon, O king, I was, on, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, okay, Saul, Saul, which is interesting, because again, it just reminds us that uh, while we have changed his name to a Latin name, uh, Jesus still calls him by his Hebrew name. Um, why do you persecute me? And then um, uh, even Jesus uses an idiom. <laughs> okay, voice from heaven. Let's use an idiom. Okay? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Okay, what? Where does that expression come from? What is a goad? You poke a horse or a donkey with. Yeah, you stick a, a thing you poke an animal with uh, to get it to move forward. And what does the, what does the animal do? It tries to kick, but of course it's using its back legs. It can't see what it's doing, so it always misses. Eventually it gives up and then just does what you want. <laughs> okay? But it's got to try and kick you a few times. Um, and, uh, but it's interesting that both, both the Hebrew Bible and, and uh, Greek literature both quote this this phrase, to kick against the goads, is both in Greek literary texts and in the, in the prophets. I think it's a Greek statement uh, for several hundred years before. I think I remember the classic uh, writers, you know. Greek classics do, yes, but so do the, the Hebrew prophets. And I don't know how many of the Hebrew prophets would have read Right. Classic Greek literature. We would say today, uh, hit your head against a brick wall. Yeah, right. Well, bang, banging because, your head against a brick yeah. wall. Yeah. In, in yeah. Spanish, they have the hitting your own head against the wall. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting that the Messiah uh, would speak from heaven and use an idiom like that. You know, it's almost like, you know, oh, man, are you banging your head against a brick wall, aren't you, mate? You know, sort of, as opposed to, you know, oh, you know, uh, this sort of light from yeah so so and then and then paul begins to again share a little bit more of his testimony where who are you lord i am jesus i am the one you're persecuting the lord replied now get up stand on your feet i have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what you i will show you so Paul, uh, Jesus gives him this, you will, I'm going to, you've seen some things now, and I'm going to show you things in the future. Okay, so there's going to be this extra disclosure you're going to get. I will rescue you from your own people yep. and from the Gentiles. Now imagine hearing that in court. <laughs> okay, yeah, oh, by the way, God's going to rescue me. Yeah. Have at it, mate. So... Because you know Jesus has already appealed to me and appeared to me and told me I'm going to Rome. So let's bring it on. Doesn't mention that bit here. Uh, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, okay, and from the power of Satan to God. Who's listening to this? 
Jews. Some Jews, yes. And also a whole chunk of Romans. Right? So you've got uh, the, the, the Jewish entourage, um, Agrippa and Bernice, and they're probably not alone. They probably have some court attendants and things. And you've got Festus and his little crowd, which could have been up to 30 okay, for his little, little, little crowd, uh, and a few guards. And there's, there's um, Paul saying, it's not going to open your eyes because you've been living with who? Satan. Ooh, it's nice and challenging. Um, anyone ever said that to another human? You have? Yeah. And how did it go? They said, no, okay. I'm in the middle. <laughs> You're in the middle. Yeah, okay. they said, I'm not here, I'm not here. Yeah. I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Anyone else had an experience where you've actually told someone, you know, you're living under Satan? It's not normally one of our evangelistic tools, okay? But um, just wondering if anyone's actually ever done it. I can't remind, remember if I've done it. Might have. I think so. Oh, okay, maybe I did. But I can't remember it at the moment. But, but yeah, Paul gets a good, good go at it. Uh, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So, for an audience who doesn't actually believe that they sin, um, which is nearly everybody out there in the world these days, um, what do you think they're hearing? They're thinking that he's this guy, um, proud, crazy, or something, that he's telling them some theology. In the, in, the, in the current world, where people don't believe in a God, uh, and they don't believe in absolutes, it's very hard to find someone who will actually acknowledge that there really is a right or a wrong. Mm. Then um, what, how hard is it, do you think, or in your experience, to actually challenge someone? It's just noise. Yeah. It's Yep. It's blubber. It's uh, something I'm not familiar with. It's foreign talk. It's yep. like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's just, I just don't think a lot of people have any concept of that reality. Yep. You're not making sense. You're not making sense. And so I wonder whether, like, while it is true, everything Paul is saying is true. Yes. Okay? And yet he wins no no converts in this in this talk. Now about me. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the Roman the Roman governor is just literally going to say you're mad. And so knowing that sometimes our language is just gibberish to people, what can we learn from that? What should we do? Should we learn anything at all? Should we just keep talking anyway? And. Actions will speak louder. It's possible. Yeah, you've got to meet people where they're at and start mm -hmm. from the very level where they're at. Um, you can't go with any theology. Uh, right. Yes, you really can't walk up to someone and say, don't you know you're living in the third dispensation and you really got to get this? You know, people are like, what the heck? <laughs> I think it goes back to, to a testimony. You know, he's not saying, that, you know, you King Agrippa or you Festus, you are under the power and authority of Satan. But he's giving it, you know, this is what Jesus told me that I was going to be doing. It's yeah. indirect. They've got to make the connection, and they do. They do, because Agrippa says, are you trying yeah. to make me a Christian? He doesn't tell them you are yeah. directly. It's yeah. indirect. And 
Because it's his testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because he's, he's then, um, uh, he's then, in verse 19, he says, in his summation, so then, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this vision. Okay, everything I've just told you that the Lord said I'm going to be doing, I actually have been doing. And neither should we. We should, you know, give our testimony, tell the truth. And yes. we don't, you know, try to soften it up or anything, you know. Right. It's absolute truth. We tell it. And let God, the Holy Spirit, pour some of our hearts. Not that's us. Right. We're just the messengers. And so. Yes, and that's right. We are, um, oddly enough, we were discussing this a little bit tonight, weren't we, Karen? Yes, in um, having a discussion with a brother who's actually not a brother in the Lord yet, uh, and we do we do love him um, and her, but we don't know how to share. We don't we don't know what to say to actually get through. There's a progression of this, I believe, and we see it also in Jesus' ministry. At the, at the start, you are gentle and you identify and you draw and you're uncoercive and. Everything that we just discussed, but as time goes along, the gospel also has the function of separating. So God is going to make very clear by the end of the age who's in and who's out. So there's a separation that happens. And Jesus ate and drank with the Pharisees for years, week after week. But at the very end, we get you Pharisees, hypocrites. Yes, it gets quite strong. Matthew 23, 24, 25. Yeah. It's it's very clearly drawn by the end, so that no doubt, you know, two groups. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it's less it's less about the fact that this what Paul is saying doesn't make sense. It's more about what he's saying uh, really makes people defensive because it speaks to their pridefulness. For me, at least, my the way I understand it, view it, 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 it always comes back to Genesis to this idea of why why was there a fall. Uh, why did Lucifer? Why did Lucifer take the angels with him? It's this idea that I don't need a Lord; I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. And in this culture, this idea of coexist, like all religions coexist, we don't need a Lord; we need reason. It's yeah. it, it comes back to pridefulness almost every single time. And so, to answer the question, how do we approach it? It seems, firstly, um, love triumphs all, triumphs above everything. But humility too. Um, but then again, I mean, what does that look like? Because Paul is not always, you know, gentle. Right, he, he can get quite harsh. Yes, that's true. And, yeah. and what he said, I think, is a good thing that we pay attention to. This is the cornerstone, I think. And just, is awesome. But what he says is awesome because that pride and selfishness. And why? This is a question that big, all men, men say, why the Christianity? There's just two great religions, works and grace. And the only unique grace is Christianity. Why is the utmost hated by man? Because it exalts God and, and humiliated man. So these people, their self-righteousness, they're saying, like, I, I, don't, I don't believe there's a God. Like, so the selfishness and pride of human being is, is being attacked, but why? I want to connect this with uh, Peter, what he said. He's doing apologia, Greek apologetics. He's a, give a defense uh, before a court, right? Yeah. Right? So he said, for what it means apologia, biblical explication, he said, set in your heart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make uh, apologia, apologia, defense to anyone who has, for you reason, 
offer your hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what Paul is saying here is, and in verse 25 he's saying, I speak in truth and rational words, what he's saying is, I am saving the truth and preserving the dignity of individual. He's, he's telling to these people, hey brothers, I want you to be like I am, except for those chains. He's saying, I want you to become a Christian, to a believer, to have faith and repent, but I would love you. So he's preserving the dignity, but at the same time he's saying, the truth is there. I'm not going to lie. Even you guys are going to kill me. And by the acts of the Holy Spirit in Mark 13, the Lord said, but be on guard, for they will deliver you over counsel, that they will beat you in synagogue, stand before governors and, king, and kings, for my sake, to be witness. But, he said, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it, not you, it is not you who speak by the Holy Spirit's things. And I, I believe that this is the greatest uh, moment that the Holy Spirit is. Yes, because even though the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in the last three chapters, you, you kind of, it's evident that you know, Paul is giving this very eloquent uh, talk. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, uh, I realized how what you were dealing with that, with Yaakov you are talking about. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I get to do here in Israel is tell my crazy out-of-the-box testimony because you can't, no matter what anyone does or doesn't believe, you can't unmake happen what happened to me. To you, yeah, that's right. And even, I've even gotten, that's why maybe we can talk afterwards. We can talk afterwards, yeah. But we can the, get together and see what That's fine. Yep. Testimony, it's a, and I never thought of it personally until someone said it to me on the job one day about overcoming with the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. testimony. Yeah. And so Paul's so testimony. At what point in time then do we take our sandals off and shake them off and Yes, that's actually a really good question because there's that part of the text too. Right? And there are times when, when as Arya says, yeah, Paul get angry. No, I release this guy to Satan. Yeah, it's like, it's like oh, oh wow, you know. There, and there are times when Jesus is like, "Listen, I'm coming and I'm judging. I'm doing some separation. I'm going to get my court out and start the bullwhipping." There is that part of it too, and uh, and I think there's that. We're, we're, just like David said last week, you know, Jesus is, he's loving, he's kind, and he's close, and he's beautiful, and he's a healer and a friend. At the same time, he is holy and just, and distant and remote and kingly. You know, he is the lover, the redeemer, and the judge. He is beautiful and an all-consuming fire. He yeah. is, and both at the same time. So that's a good question. When when does the when is the point where you say, you know what, oh, we're done now? Probably probably for me sooner than most. <laughs> perhaps you know, perhaps it is on an individual basis, and perhaps God calls us and, and knows His heroes. Let's let's all admit that God knows His heroes better yes. than we do. Yes. yes, and 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 that God, in His wisdom, would make sure that the right heroes are in the right place. And there are those who make the decision yeah. to turn against God, period, the end. Sure. Yes. And that's very Calvinistic of me. I'll just stop right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, there you go. We have to pray for wisdom on it, of course. But um, but we do need to remember not to just, you know, predetermine in our mind, well, that person will never listen, so I'm not going to tell them the gospel. Because yeah. Paul says in Romans 1 that it is the power of God. Not it has power, it does it have power. Is, yeah. He doesn't say it describes the power of God, it does that too. It is the power of God. It's the very word 
that he used to create a universe out of nothing to yeah. raise Jesus from the dead. Yeah. And it can penetrate a heart like Saul, who's killing Christians. You think, well, I would never kill that person. Well, we, it can penetrate those hearts. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really need to be careful. You know, I never try to prejudge whether someone should hear my testimony. Mm -hmm. uh, I just look for an opportunity to tell my testimony and I'll let the rest, you know. it's Because I never feel, I used to feel like I have to convert people. Well, man, that was so wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't convert anybody. I just tell people the message and it's not, I don't feel any kind of burden at all except to tell the message and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Yep. Good. Uh, so the next sentence is, uh, which is one that we've already commented on, and we ha we have noticed that we like it. Uh, so so Paul is giving his witness and testimony to those first in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preach that they should repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. So there is this strong call that okay, you know, I, you need to repent. Uh, as we also saw in the book of Acts, that uh, repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized and receive the gift of the Spirit, Acts 2. Um, repentance is the first words of Jesus when he comes out of the desert. Uh, repentance is you know, a major call in, in Jewish life. Okay? And, uh, and that includes, uh, even though people had animal sacrifice, they were still called to repent and, uh, and prove it. By their deeds and that should still also be the message of the church mm -hmm. that when we ask people to repent and turn from their sins you know it's 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 a it's a you've got to try and see it mm -hmm. you can't just say i repent and then turn around and go keep sinning Whatever. again yeah. there's a yeah, we, we, actually we're getting here a bunch of doctrines Justification, repentance. Yes, we are actually. Yeah, but not they're not usually quoted. Okay, uh, when you go down the list of, uh, of of doctrines. But yes, you're right, Gabriel. There's a bunch of doctrines here. So repent and then prove it. Okay. So this is why they've seized me. Okay, and uh, in the temple courts as well, they tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. Doesn't mention that he saw Jesus. Okay, uh, in his in his prison that he's been told he's going to go to Rome, uh, he, he said to Jesus on the Damascus experience, "I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, and that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles." Right? Isn't it interesting that the Messiah would rise and proclaim light to his own people? Mm -hmm. So he rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. And still proclaimed light to his own people. So, who, what came, what body came out of the tomb? A Jewish one. Same body that went into the tomb. And to the Gentiles, they were never, ever, ever going to be excluded. They are not excluded in the Psalms. Hallelujah, Adonai Kol You know, they are not excluded in the prophets. The Galilee of the Gentiles will see a great light, uh, and uh, they are not excluded by any of the sacred writings. That it was always in the plan of God to save the world, okay? and uh, and and uh, but that never never discounted the fact that there are Jews and there is an Israel. 
So at this point, Festus has to interrupt because he just can't stand it anymore. And says, you're out of your mind, you've gone mad. So that obviously did not work for this boy. Okay? Your great learning is driving you insane. Okay? Uh, so, so Festus uh, uh, does actually recognize that Paul's pretty intelligent, uh, that he is actually a scholar, and, uh, but then says, you're insane. Well, this may have been positive, but the Greeks uh, would say that their philosophers were insane. They've used the same word. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And so um, they were inspired by God, but Paul obviously takes it and then uses it the way he wants to, which yeah. we often do. But yeah, he it may he was he was Roman. He knew you know the Greek philosophers and everything. Yeah. He could have been using it this way. All right. But yes. Paul obviously does. He decides, hey, I'm going to use it this yes. other way. In, in Greek, in Roman religion, Roman theology, uh, some people did go down to the realms of the dead and bring people back, but it wasn't the same resurrection as we're talking about here. Okay, those were quests and had to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, anyway, Paul says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. So he actually uses a correct title, which is a good thing, good mm -hmm. thing to learn. Okay? To give honor to those that actually where yes. honor is due. And so if you happen to meet um, a Catholic priest, what do you call them? Father. Yes, even though you might not like it, that actually is the title. Okay, um, and that's what I get called sometimes, especially when I'm in China, even though I tell them stop calling me that. But uh, they do it anyway. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is something, thing, you know, sir, boss, you know, uh, ma'am, you know, all those polite things. Give, give people credit. That is a good thing. Okay, what I am saying is true and reasonable. Okay, not anything that's insane. This is actually a. It's true. Yeah. Jesus is, a, is is alive. There's a whole plethora of people who believe this stuff by this stage, including in your own city, mm -hmm. right? Who, who's actually here? Who are believers in Caesarea? Cornelius, and uh, if Cornelius is still here, and 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 whatever community has developed since then, and so they're predominantly Roman. Uh, the king is familiar with all these things. The guy sitting next to you knows that everything I've said actually is part of the, the messianic hope, which we actually believe in. Okay? And um, which is always interesting when you talk with uh, uh, rabbinical people or people who know the scriptures in this land. Uh, at, if, if people are honest and they're ready to have a good, honest discussion, then you can actually pull out the text and say, look what it says. Let's have a discussion. And you get them. You get them. We've had them here. They've been fantastic. We've got countless stories of where we've had an opportunity to open up the gospel and begin to share, um, uh, and which has been absolutely wonderful. Particularly if they if they if they know. With Gentiles who don't read the Bible, that's it's a bit harder. Okay. So the king is familiar with all these things. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in the corner, right? Um, what what in in King Agrippa's kingdom? What do you think's been happening up north? People are coming to faith. Mm -hmm. there's, there's there's no there's people have been coming to faith from all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Antioch, and that includes part of his kingdom. Okay, that uh, so even in his kingdom, he's probably got some Jewish believers in Jesus establishing communities. He's probably got some Gentiles who believe in Jesus establishing communities, and he's going to have to deal with them. He probably even knows some of them because what does he call? What does what is it? What does Agrippa actually say? What is his word? 
that you want to make me Christian. Yes. What was what was the thing called last chapter? The way. The way or Nazarene sect. Now you actually get a king say the reuse the word Christian and they were first at which Acts says they were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, so the word has moved. King Agrippa does know. He's probably got a bunch in his in his kingdom, and he says, "You want to make me one of these?" <laughs> he actually knows the word, which yes. is pretty amazing. But it's funny that he says, "You want to make me Christian?" so quickly. Yes. It's not as if he says, "You want to make me Christian?" It's like so quickly as if he's acknowledging that he probably will become a Christian. It's just not that fast. Yeah, it could be like, yeah. "Wow, you know everything Paul says." Uh, yeah, I actually have read this. Yeah. Um, he's actually hasn't said anything wrong yet. I'm not quite ready to leap in yet yeah, and, like and rush saying, into the waters of baptism. <laughs> he's not saying you will never make a yeah. Christian. I don't know. I don't know Agrippa's history. Do you, Aria, know anything? Uh, I know nothing. What happens to him? Does he? No, I don't believe he. I can't think of any hagiography, right? Um, which is the lives of the saints. Um, there is one Russian icon, it's only in the Russian church, it's not in the Greeks, that actually has Pontius Pilate becoming a, a, a Christian. Okay, but, but nobody else does. Like nobody else, everybody else acknowledges that the guy's a bad seed and he goes off and does something bad. But the Russians know they love him and they make him into a saint. Like he becomes a believer and starts sharing the gospel. Okay, um, uh, don't you love the Russians? Okay. Uh, all right, so where are we? Uh, King Agrippa says, "Do you believe the uh, King Agrippa? Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian?" Yeah, but we don't know if that if there's a, a hidden message there. I think it's interesting that he's now turned and now it's direct. Yeah, I mean, he goes straight to him. Do you believe yep. the prophets? I know you do. Yep. I mean, this yeah, this other guy has no clue. He just thinks yeah, I'm insane. This isn't indirect anymore. My testimony. He's now pressing. Yeah, and then Paul's nice little phrase at the end: short or long, I do pray you become a believer. Isn't that a nice thing to say to a king? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, you actually, even though, you know, uh, Paul acknowledges that uh, that Jesus told him I'm going to Rome, but here's my chance to actually save a king. So I'll give it a go. Short or long. Does Adam a question? How long? Yeah, yeah. Never misses an opportunity. When we get through with the testimony, you know, a lot of times I think we probably ask someone now, what about you? you know, yeah. You, you know, yeah. we turn to them and we ask them, this is what I believe. Yeah. What about you? What about you? Because I actually am praying for you, short or long, I'm yeah. actually hoping that you become a believer. Mm-hmm. That's a nice thing to say. And, uh, and then we get that, this admi- admonition, or I think Paul's actually in chains while he's saying this. We hadn't had this information before. Okay. And also the text doesn't say what you say, that no one has been converted, but I believe that those people who were there listening say, if I'm going to be converted, I'm going to be like this, pe- this man. Yeah. So I believe, I mean, this is a great speech to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit convinced people uh, to repent. The text doesn't say anything. It doesn't. Yeah. The purpose is to send Paul to the Caesar, but yeah. I believe that. It would be nice if that if that's true, Gabriel. I, mean, I don't know. The text doesn't say. It's, yeah. it's nice to think and ponder it, but uh, but because it doesn't say, uh, and, and I don't know of any other traditions that say that they did. Yeah. Um, okay. 
So the king rises up, and with him the governor and... Well, Benice! Benice shows up again. Wow. Okay, not given any title, and there's no reason why she should be there, but she is. Okay, and those sitting with them, they leave the room and then start talking with one, one another. So, uh, isn't that interesting? Let's all... Re- mice are at work again. Yeah. But isn't it interesting, though, when, when we, we say things, like especially here at Christchurch, we have these big events, and Christmas Eve is going to be one of them. Yes. We're going to share the gospel with thousands of people. Okay? And we do that. We have no idea what happens afterwards. We have no clue. We have no idea what happens when they get home. We have no idea whether they actually read any of the things that they take. We have no idea uh, if other people read some of the things that they take. Like how many t- we give like lots and lots of uh, Gospels of Luke out in Hebrew. That's one of our little things. Yes. And we don't know that someone brings that home, puts it on the table. The son wakes up in the morning and picks up. What's this? Yeah. Yeah, we have no clue. And I think that's a good thing to know is that even after we've spoken, they keep talking. Yeah. Isn't that a nice thing? Okay. So. That's right, yes. And so um, it says that uh, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. So while, while they, they might not talk about um, uh, his, his uh, revelation, the stuff that he's talked about, and none of them here are racing to the waters of baptism per se, um, they acknowledge that uh, he's not really going to, we're not going to kill him, um, but we are going to have to send him to Caesar because that's what he has requested which Paul wants to go anyway. This is not a bad scenario for Paul. Now he actually gets a free ticket. Okay. So ship's not going to be uh, very boat-worthy after a while, but he's off. So, uh, all right, that's where we are. And we're off to Rome, which is the fulfillment of the vision of Jesus. Um, and, and so tomorrow, next week's discussion, uh, I don't know if we're going to get through all of it because it's quite a long chapter. But we'll see how we go. And then the week after that, which will be the 18th, um, we will not be doing an Acts study. We'll be doing a Hanukkah study. Okay? We'll be having one, one lecture on, um, on the Maccabees, okay? uh, which are four books. So we will not be reading all four books. Uh, we'll be reading select texts, and uh, which will demonstrate uh, some... Uh, you give us examples of how Jewish people are thinking in the Second Temple period, um, about angels, about uh, what happens after after death, um, about martyrdom, about what effect that has uh, on on other people, and then you'll see. Well, I hope that will show that that sort of theology is is heavily influences the New Testament. But the New Testament does not come out of a vacuum. It, it's alive and well in a very powerful way where Jewish people have been thinking about resurrection, been thinking about dying for other people, have been thinking about um, sanctification of the name, and, uh, and have been thinking about uh, uh, what, what happens on the other side of the world. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.